Jesus. All right, we're in our last lesson of the Boomtown series. And uh, if Pastor Chris was in here, he'd say, Boomtown. And uh, that's just fun to say. Thank you. I appreciate it, Jim. Appreciate that. We've been talking about this fact that in every civilization throughout history, you find these moments when a precious, a precious uh, resource is discovered and, and it causes people to race to that place and to, to build a town there. It's called a boom town because it just expands with great ferocity. In fact, boom town is a town experiencing exponential growth due to sudden prosperity. And we've talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit is this precious resource that we have the privilege of having in our life, introduced into our life in, through faith in Christ Jesus. He is a person and he is a resource. And that when we go all in with him, our personal relationship with him, it begins to change and expand our lives. And last week we talked about embracing the power of the Holy Spirit. But today we want to talk about this thing called divine guidance, divine guidance, that the Holy Spirit guides us, he, he directs us. In fact, our big idea, if you're a note taker, I encourage you to take some notes today in your service guide. There's an opportunity and then you can do it on any other, if you want to write on your neighbor's hand, you know, just go for it, whatever works for you. The big idea is welcome the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Guidance is something that must be welcomed in order for it to be effective. If it's not welcomed, then it's often just rejected or refused. But welcomed guidance allows us to receive the benefit of whatever guidance is being offered. In the New Testament, we find the, the story of the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts that is that is building his church, he's developing his church, he's, he's guiding his church, he's, he's doing all things with his church and through his church. And amazing things were happening. We're, we're seeing many being saved, we're seeing healings take place and more people being saved. And, and we're seeing God just continue to move and do all kinds of exponentially amazing things. And yet, as God is moving, the enemy is also moving. And how, do you, how many recognize that when God is moving in your life, oftentimes the enemy tries to stop the move of God? And he's doing that in the early church. He's trying to cause division and he's trying to cause problems. There, there is a great sense of, of love that is being showered out into the early church. There's a, a great level of selflessness and, and loving generosity that's being experienced. And people are doing all kinds of things. They're selling things that they have, resources that they have, and they're giving the money to the apostles to be distributed and to be used for the furthering of the kingdom of God. And all of these amazing things are going on and yet the enemy is also working and trying to cause problems within this this beautiful movement that's going on and we pick it up in Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 10 and uh, we're not reading all of that but that's the passage that we're covering it says but there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property he brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount with his wife's consent, he kept the rest. So now Peter addresses him and says, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. So this is a Holy Spirit situation here. And you kept some of the money for yourself. The property 
was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. So I want us to be clear here that this is not a prescriptive situation. I've heard people teach that what Peter is, and the, what God is teaching the early church is that you're, when you sell stuff, you're supposed to give your profit from that to the church. If you're loving and generous and so on, that's what you're supposed to do. And this is not prescriptive, this is descriptive. Peter's very clear, it was yours to sell or not sell, and whatever proceeds you received, whatever profit you received, that was yours to give or not give. It is your choice in this. But what isn't your choice is whether you lie or tell the truth. He said, after selling it, the money was yours to give away. How could you do this uh, thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. A little while later, his wife Sapphira comes in and Peter says, hey, Ananias said this is what is true. Is that true? And Sapphira, because she was in on it, said, yeah, that's true. And she died as well. Now, how many are thankful that God doesn't kill us for lying in church? I'm going to go out on a limb and say we would not have a parking lot problem if that were the truth. <laughs> and I will further reveal that you would also need a new preacher. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it, I'm glad. In fact, this is the only time in Scripture we read of this. And sometimes we, if you read people's writings and thoughts, and I've heard some teaching on this as well, uh, where they try to teach and say that this wasn't a punitive action on God's part, that they, they, they try to make it something different than what it actually says that it is. And I would just go and say, well, it, I think Ananias and Sapphira probably felt it was fairly punitive. Dead. D-E-D, -E -D, dead. I'm from Louisiana, y'all. I can't, can't help it. So Ananias and Sapphira are in a, a, a tough spot. The point here is God is saying, number one, take your, take your relationship with the church, with the church leadership, and ultimately with me, take it seriously. There are some personal correction that's going on here. But secondly, there's corporate instruction. That kingdom business is serious business. And God wants an authentic church. A 100% authentic church. Ananias and Sapphira could have brought any amount or no amount at all. As long as they didn't say, this is all of it. The church is not a club. We are a body. A body whose head is Christ. And so if any part of the body begins reporting to the central nervous system of the body something that is not true, the whole body suffers. When they lie to the Holy Spirit, when they take the relationship with God and with their brothers and sisters in Christ so lightly that lying seems to be not a problem, 
that gaining maybe a reputation or whatever their, their reasoning may have been, that became more important than a real relationship. The whole body suffers. But you might ask, well, how is this a boomtown moment? In my opinion, if God starts killing people, that kind of moves people away from the church, not necessarily bringing people to the church, but that's not what happened. In fact, the scripture says in Acts 5.14, yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. God is moving in a supernatural way, and even his divine correction doesn't stop people from coming to him. In fact, I would say that if you and I have the ability to receive the correction of God and, and allow it to direct our life, then it, it will point more and more people to Jesus. The correction of the Holy Spirit built the church. Does God correct today? The answer is yes. The only reason God would stop correcting is if God stops loving. Here's what the scripture says, Hebrews chapter 12. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes each one he accepts as his child. You know, I never punished. I punished my, if my children will testify to the fact that I did punish my children. But you know, I did not go around punishing everybody else's kids. One day, my Tyrion, who's now 20, was probably 13, 14 or so, maybe a little younger. We were driving and we had been at a restaurant and in, one, in this restaurant, this, this child in the restaurant was just losing their mind, running around, screaming and so on. And we get in the car and we close the doors and we start driving down the street and, and there's just kind of silence in the car and then Tyrion starts going, Dad, um, that, uh, that, that kid needed some fixing. <laughs> he said, I can't imagine you ever letting me get away with that. And I said, no, you can't, son. Neither can I. What he was saying is, he was disciplined as a child. And discipline as a child guides him as an adult. But many of us say, well, I want guidance, not correction. Guidance, not correction. But guidance without correction is pointless. If there's never a correction to where you're going or what you're doing, then it doesn't help you get to where you're trying to go. Now, I have two thoughts for us today, and thought number one is this. Respect allows correction. Respect allows correction. A child doesn't begin having respect. They are not born from the womb having respect for those around them. They are taught correction. Taught respect through correction, rather. The scripture says, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart. In fact, it even says, spare the rod, spoil the child. And so our world has sin 
in our world has caused so many to become, be abused in different ways that oftentimes we have simply shrunk away from correction and suddenly we have kids who are simply out of order on a regular basis. If your kid's telling you what to do, that's not how it's supposed to go. That's good preaching. As adults, we welcome correction from those we respect. If we don't respect the individual and they correct us, we're like, mm -hmm. But if we respect them, we let them guide us. We let them direct us. Why? Because we, we see something in them that we aspire to, or that we desire, something that we hope to achieve at some point. And so we, as adults, welcome those correction in our, their correction in our families, in, in our businesses, in our churches, as a leader, as a father, as a mother. If you see somebody that you respect and they say, hey, you might want to think about doing it this way, or you should do it this way. Either way, we receive it because we have a level of respect for them. An unwillingness to receive correction is in fact a lack of respect. If I can't receive correction from anyone or anything, then it means I do not respect them. I know that some people in, the, some people in various churches that I've pastored, uh, when they have heard a no, when they were hoping to hear a yes, they got mad. Shocking, difficult to believe, I understand. But they would get upset. And their response to the correction would be, well, then I'm going to find another church. Okay, that is, this is a free country, you're a full-grown adult, and God doesn't nail us to this church, okay? God, that's your choice. But is that an inability to receive correction? Or is that something wrong here? Because if it's an inability to receive correction, then anytime you get with a strong person or a strong leader in a strong organization with strong leadership as we have here at Five Lakes Church, you're going to have a moment when that occurs and you will be on your way again. Because no matter where you are, there you are. And we all have problems sometimes. We all have to say okay and accept something we don't like at one point or another. So correction develops respect and respect for right things brings expansion in our lives. Respect for church leadership, respect for business leadership, respect for any kind of leadership expands our life. People, people in the New Testament church welcomed the clear guidance of the Holy Spirit because they understood this simple, very simple truth. What corrects, directs. What corrects, directs. So if you say, I don't like the direction that my life is going in, my, my question is, what and who can correct you? Because what corrects, directs. Do you respect the Holy Spirit enough? Are you, do you have enough respect for other leaders and, and other people in your world enough to allow them to correct you? Or do you just refuse that consistently? As individuals, Ananias and Sapphira, they, they received this punishment, but it directed the church at large. And that brings us to thought number two, that the Holy Spirit guides through his presence and his people. 
How does he guide through his presence? Well, first, God gave us a conscience, each one of us. It's that inner knowing of what is right and what is wrong. Sometimes we know what's right and still do what's wrong. Even Paul did. He wrote about it in Scripture. And then there's this thing called conviction. It's that inner knowing that you've done wrong. It's not condemnation. It's not saying, hey, you're wrong, and because you did wrong, you are a bad, worthless person. No, it's conviction that says, hey, you did this wrong, and here's how you can get right. And then there's that inner check. We call it a check in the spirit in Christianese, but it's that thing within your, within your body, within your, your mentality, within your emotions, however it strikes you, where you're going along and suddenly you just know, ooh, something is wrong in this moment. That's a check. And when that happens, that can be the Holy Spirit warning you that something's not right in this moment. Then there's a sense of comfort. I know that at times I've been looking at a storm in life and, and I know the storm's approaching and I may even be able to avoid it, but, but there's some kind of inner peace that says, yes, that is going to be tough and that is not going to be fun, but it is right. Just because something is right doesn't make it easy. And there's a comfort in the Holy Spirit as the comforter works in you and dwells in you and, and you look at the storm before you and you say, that's going to be a hard conversation or the, a difficult choice to make or a, a hard thing to do and yet it's the right thing to do and I'm moving into it. The comforter, the Holy Spirit can do that for you. So that's guidance through his presence, but there's also guidance through his people. People that are filled with the Holy Spirit. And after the end of this sermon today, I'm not going to dismiss you to be gone. I'm going to dismiss you to the gym where all of our life groups are set up. And today we are focusing on life groups because we do life together as a church and as teams and as, as people of God who are walking in the same direction. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. It matters where you're going and who you're following to get there. And so if you're following Christ to get there, we can come from all kinds of different backgrounds and persuasions and understandings about Christ. But if we're following Christ, eventually we keep moving closer and closer together until we all make heaven our home. Amen? And so we, we will dismiss into life groups because we need one another in order to be strong. The scripture says that the people of God warn us and correct us and direct us and equip us, push us into doing the things that are righteous and that are right. The scripture is inspired by God and those who are walking according to Christ and who are in his word allow the scripture to mold them and direct them and, and we hold one another accountable and we walk together. When we're low, we are lifted up. Whenever we're sad, we're, we're brought joy and a sense of peace. People help and, and, and minister into one another's life. Why? Because, because we are a family, the family of God. And we're moving forward together. I want us to notice that the Holy Spirit tried to correct through Peter before the Holy Spirit himself did the correcting of Ananias and Sapphira. Peter said, Ananias, is this true? Ananias could have said, no, it is not true. I am lying and I'm asking forgiveness. And I don't know that the Holy Spirit would have killed him. Sapphira could have come in and said, done the same thing. He, God reached out to them with people before he 
reached out to them with his personal presence? Can we allow people to speak and minister into our lives? The scripture says that the saints of God, the believers are called to warn one another, correct one another, and encourage one another. Hebrews 3 tells us as believers to warn each other every day to stay away from sin. Every day. Stay away from sin. I wake up in the morning, I look at Christy and say, stay away from sin. <laughs> okay, maybe not exactly that way. But that idea of, of pushing one another to do better. How about correcting? In Galatians, Paul challenges godly, spiritual people to see a brother or a sister falling and, and doing something wrong and to say, hey, let me help you up and let's walk together again. Encouraging. Hebrews chapter 10 says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. He's saying consistently, lift one another up, lift one another up. And that's what life groups do. They, they are intentional ways of putting yourself in a place to be encouraged by the people of God. I'll say it this way. You might want to take a picture of the screen here. But believers are challenged to watch each other's back from a place of care and concern, never from condemnation. I'm watching out for you, and, and, and if I bring a word of warning, hey, bro, I, you, you, be careful, there, there's a cliff there. You might fall off that cliff. If I had $5 for every time somebody was worried I was going to fall off the front of this stage, I'd be a very wealthy person. But just because people are concerned about me. I care about you. I'm not trying to condemn you. I just care. I love you. And I want to see you have everything that God has for you. Not out of condemnation. But you know what the scripture never tells us to do? The scripture never calls believers to a place of apathy concerning other believers. Never. Well, not my business. I'm in my place. I'm in my lane. I'm not going to worry about them. They do them. I do me. I just come to church. I sit on my row in my seat unless somebody gets there first and then I have to sit in the front. <laughs> That's not what God's called us to. No, he's called us to intentionally link our arms together as brothers and sisters in Christ and walk together. And so we welcome in fact, he's called us to be our brother's keeper. And so we welcome the guidance of the Holy Spirit by putting ourselves in a position to be guided by him. We do it in three ways, three cords of connection. The first is daily devotion, keeping us in scripture. And if you and I are not involved in the daily devotions, I encourage you. You don't have to do it the way we do it, but I do encourage you to make it yourself, uh, avail yourself of the opportunity. Go online. Look under the devotions page and you're going to see readings for the day and an explanation of how you can engage in journaling through scripture. And it, it, it will bless you. It can't help but bless you. Secondly, is a consistent attendance and worship that connects us with his presence. I pray that every day we are all getting in his presence individually. 
but there's nothing that replaces the assembling together of the people of God and worshiping Jesus together. And then lastly, engage in active engagement, rather, in life groups. And that connects us with his people. Every church you will ever go to is too big unless you know someone. As soon as you get to know people, it gets smaller. You start building relationships and connecting with this one, connecting with that one. You say, well, if I go over there, I don't know anybody. You didn't know anybody before. You won't know anybody until you make yourself friendly. Say, hey, y'all. I dare you. You'll find out you have all kinds. There are people in this congregation, there are people in this room right now found their best friends in life groups. You'll find connection and friendship and encouragement and others who will walk with you on your spiritual journey. Here's one thing I request of you. If you're a parent in the room, please do not go to kids ministry and check your kids out right now. They are in the middle of their lesson. You will throw them into, they will not be chaotic because they're gonna handle whatever comes. But it is not in their best interest or in your child's best interest. So I'm gonna ask you not to do that. Prayer partners, would you come forward? The band is gonna come and play. And if you are ready or need to pray with somebody, these prayer partners are ready to pray with you. I'm gonna ask you to stand and if you're ready to go, you can be dismissed out the back to the gym. If you are need prayer, come forward. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your people. Thank you for allowing us the privilege of doing life together. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.